through this book. But real, real briefly, we're, uh, we're going through Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet living about seven, 800 years before the birth of Jesus. Uh, he's living in um, the southern kingdom. There's a, it's a period in time when Israel is actually split into two different countries. And he's living in the southern one, uh, which is where Jerusalem is. And he's, over the last uh, few chapters, been talking about a time that's coming in the future for him when Babylon is going to come and take his people captive. And then he's also telling them how they'll be set free in the future. Um, Things that uh, came to pass 50, 60 years after Isaiah's death. Uh, And also, Isaiah loves to deal in dual fulfillment prophecies. In other words, He'll, he'll say a thing is going to happen, and it, and it comes true in two different ways. You know, there's a near fulfillment, something that, was, that people saw in his time or, or shortly after, and then a far fulfillment. Uh, some of those things we've seen come to pass since then or are still in our future even. So uh, all that being said, let's pray, and then we'll get into it, okay? Lord, we thank you this evening for allowing us to be here uh, and for preserving your word for us that we can... Um, all these centuries later, we can look into it and see how your plan has been unfolding uh, just the way you drew it up. Uh, and Lord, we just pray that you would help us understand your word tonight uh, through this message that we would understand you better and who we can be in and through you. Uh, we pray for your blessing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So he starts, uh, Isaiah 51 starts with, uh, a look back. He says, uh, verse 1, he says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Right? So people that, you, that care about what God has to say. He says, Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave birth to you in pain. When he was but one or was alone or uh, by himself, I called him. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. So, like I said, Isaiah is he's, he's talking about these people that are going to be taken captive in the future. Um, they spend about 70 years in captivity. So all in all, in all the time from when Isaiah is writing this to when the people will be set free, from Babylon is about 130 years. And, uh, and he's telling those people who are going to li- be living in captivity, he says, you know, don't be discouraged. First of all, when they leave, uh, only about 50,000 of them actually are willing to leave their stuff behind and go back to Israel. Uh, so that they have, you know, that some of the people are going to be discouraged by the small number of people that want to come back. But also just living in, in captivity that long, you know, they probably felt like maybe God had, you know, forgotten them or let them down. And he says, I want you to remember where you came from. You know, Abraham was just one man far from the promised land when God called him and God was faithful. And, you know, so he's saying, I cared for him. I'm going to care for you. Right. You're his descendants. I'm going to care for you. Then he tells them to look ahead in verse 3. He says, indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. It's just another name for Jerusalem. He says, he will comfort all her waste places, or all the places that have fallen into disrepair, 
uh, and her wilderness he will make like Eden, and her desert, <laughs> desert, her desert, two S's is desert. I always remember it because you want two, you know, you always want second ones. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and sound of a melody. So he says, you know, yeah, it's going to be a wasteland when you first come out, but I'm going to help restore all of that. You know, Israel's going to, we're going to rebuild it. It's going to look good. Uh, and so that, you know, and some of that did come to pass. Uh, they, they absolutely did rebuild quite a bit of it. But then it was, you know, it went through some rough times again. And just in our lifetime, we've seen, seen Israel. Israel today is an agricultural powerhouse. We talked about that uh, a couple months ago that, uh, you know, they've, they've figured out desalination better than anybody else in the world and irrigation. And, uh, you know, they're, it, it's, it's still not quite an Eden, though, right? So he's, he's talking about something else. He's using some imagery, you know, it's going to be so nice, but I don't think he's exaggerating. He says, someday my city is going to be like Eden, right? I'm going to restore this place uh, to paradise. Verse 4, he says, pay attention to me, O my people, and give ear to me, O my nation, for a law will go forth from me. And I will set my justice for a light of the peoples. Ever since chapter 42, uh, God has been telling about the coming of his servant. And he's been telling us more and more what his servant is going to look like. And uh, he told us in 42 that he would bring justice to the nations. Um, a couple weeks ago, we saw where he's, he's going to have a mouth like a sharp sword. He'll bring uh, his people back to God, and be, a, but also be a light to all the nations. Um, he'll be despised at his first coming, but at his second coming, princes and kings will bow to him. He's going to set captives free. Last week we saw he said that uh, my servant will be able to sustain the weary with but a word. Right? He has the words that bring life, that, that restore it. But he said he, he will also be tortured and humiliated. And here he says, when he comes, he's not just going to fulfill the law. He's not just going to write some new good laws or anything. He says, his word will be law. I will be the law. I will be justice. Verse 5, he says, my righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait for me. And for my arm, they will wait expectantly. Lift up your eyes to the sky. Then look to the earth beneath. For the, look, or for the sky will vanish like smoke. And the earth will wear out like a garment. I love that. The earth will wear out like a garment. Like your favorite shirt, you know, the one you have to hide from your wife. You know what I'm talking about? That one that you know you should have thrown it out a long time ago. And then mine just mysteriously disappears every few years. I don't know what happened. But it's because it's gotten worn out, right? Uh, the earth is wearing out. In physics, we have uh, this, the law of entropy, right? That everything 
eventually leads, it devolves, it leads to chaos, not order. Everything gets worse, not better. And, uh, and that lines up with what God says about, uh, you know, this universe, that it's, he made it, he made a perfect universe and it's winding down. It's wearing out like a garment. And its inhabitants will die in like manner, but my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will not wane. So he says, I want you to look up, you know, keep your, keep your eyes on the sky, look up at what can't, what's coming, but then also look around. Look around at this world that surrounds you. I want you to have some perspective. I mean, that, that verse may sound kind of familiar because Peter, he, t- he kind of takes this verse and adds on to it, kind of, kind of builds on this imagery. In 2 Peter 3, verse 10, I think we're actually going to be talking about this verse on Sunday. But he says, uh, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. So there will be a day when even the heavens, when the whole solar system, all the galaxies, everything will be done away with, he says. So, in Second Peter, he says, so what sort of people ought we to be, right, if that's how it's going to be? And Isaiah is kind of, you know, giving us that same thing. Knowing that all of this is going to wear out, knowing that uh, God has, a, has an end game in mind, it should give us some perspective, right? That that scratch that got on, you know somebody put on your car in the parking lot is not the end of the world, right? It's not the worst thing. Isaiah fifty-one verse six, he says, "Lift up your eyes to the sky, then look to the earth beneath. The sky will vanish like smoke; uh, smoke the earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever." And my righteousness will not wane. He says, my salvation will be forever. Everything else is temporary, except my salvation. It's interesting, you know, in the Old Testament especially, the Jews um, were very focused on the here and now. And you may or may not remember, we've talked about that before. Even in, in the New Testament, we had... Uh, you, you see Jesus interacting with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees were really into the, the legalism and stuff, uh, but they did believe in a life after death. The Sadducees did not believe in life after death, but they just believed everything, you know, this is all you got, so you better, uh, you know, get, a, get as much as you can. And remember the old joke, they didn't believe in life after death, so they were sad, you see, you know. How you remember the difference between them? Um, but so there were there were still lots of people who believed in Yahweh, believed in God, um, but they were more focused on the here and now, and they viewed salvation or deliverance as a as an earth, you know, deliverance from my enemies or deliverance from this bondage or or whatever. And here we see Jesus speaking through Isaiah, saying. No, my deliverance is more than that. My deliverance is eternal. Verse 7, he says, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. 
Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be dismayed at their reviling. For the moth will eat them like a garment, and the grub will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Right? Jesus comes along seven, eight hundred years later, and he says the same thing. Right? He, he's still telling people, uh, you know, don't store up your treasures here on earth where moth and rust and all that stuff can take it away. But store up your treasure in heaven. Um, don't fear man who can only kill your body, but fear me. Then, then uh, the conversation sort of sh- uh, shifts here in verse 9. Now it's, it's this remnant, these people that are in captivity waiting to be delivered, right? We're seeing things from their perspective, a- and they are asking God to, to get moving, right? Verse 9, it says, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces and who pierced the dragon? So they're saying, God, you know, we're looking back, like you said, we're looking forward, we're looking around, but where are you? Because we're still in a bad situation. And they said, you know, do today what you did back then. There's a verse in Habakkuk that I actually have it on a, painting in my office uh, that talks about that very thing that God we want to see you do the things today that we know you did then right do in our time what you did then and so they they're reminding they're trying to they're basically reminding God of what he's done they said you know the uh, was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces now Ra- that's not the lady Rahab and that you know from that story this is a um, a reference to Egypt it's an old name for Egypt we actually talked about that um, back in chapter, I don't know, 32 or something. But uh, Rahab was the name of a mythical uh, dragon that the Egyptians believed in that you know guarded the Nile and that kind of stuff. Um, it also went by the name Canaan, or um, the Babylonians called it Tiamat. Uh, those of you that played Dungeons and Dragons may recognize that name. Um, but Ezekiel tells us this is, you know, a reference to Pharaoh, basically. So he's saying, you know, remember, you, you dealt a death blow to Egypt, basically. Verse 10, was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to cross over? Right, he's talking about the, the didn't you part the Red Sea? You did that back then. I'm sure you can see what I need you know what what we need now there's something interesting there though he says the waters of the great deep that's what you parted sometimes you'll see um, people try to explain away miracles in the bible and and one that we see often is uh, oh it wasn't the red sea it was the the reed sea and see the reed sea uh, is pretty shallow and certain times of year especially if there's drought the water gets down to about nine, ten inches, and so if the wind came just right, you know, you'd be able to walk through on, on dry ground. That seems like a plausible explanation, right? But if you know that story, you know that God also drowned Pharaoh's army 
when the water came back in, right? So if that's the case, if it was the Reed Sea, there's still a miracle there. God drowned an army in 8 to 10 inches of water, right? <laughs> but no, he, he, Isaiah clarifies. He says it, it, the, the waters were deep, right? Um, verse 11, he says, So the ransom to the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion. And everlasting joy will be on their heads. They will obtain gladness and joy and sorrow uh, and sighing will flee away. Sighing will flee away. I like that. I don't know if you have this problem. I do. I sigh a lot, especially when I'm irritated or over something or, you know, I see some news story and I'm just like, I do that a lot to where Gana is all the time going, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. Well, you're sighing. I'm like, well. <laughs> he says, there's a time coming when even that will be done away. There won't be anything for you to look around at and just be exasperated by. He says, I, even I. And he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and of the son of man who is made like grass? That you have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. That you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy. But where is the fury of the oppressor? The exile will soon be set free and will not die in the dungeon nor will his bread be lacking for i am the lord your god who stirs up the sea and its waves roar the lord of hosts is his name he says why are you stressing over these things that first of all are so much smaller than the god that you you say you worship but also are things that are out of your control i do that i get anxious and afraid and when I do I I forget about my maker I forget about all that God has done in in the past and I forget how mighty and powerful he is because I'm think all I can think is how am I going to fix this and I forget that he calls me to trust him in difficult times and, and especially when I don't see what's ahead right when I don't when I don't see what I'm supposed to do next. And so what I do is I try really hard to control every aspect of my life and the situation. Um, and then you pretty quickly figure out that you, you don't really control anything. And so then I get angry with, uh, with people who I, you know, seem like they're contributing to my problems. And God's remedy for all that, he says, just stop, look around, then look up, and trust me. Psalm 56, verse 3 says this, it says, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do? to me. 
as Paul puts it, if God is for us, who can be against us? Isaiah 51, verse 16, he says, I have put my words in your mouth, and I have covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens, to found the earth, and to say to Zion, you are my people. So this is you know, God referring to Jesus, to his servant. And then his servant speaks to the people of Israel. He says, rouse yourself, verse 17, rouse yourself, arise, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the Lord's hands the cup of his anger. The chalice of reeling you have drained to the dregs. The dregs is like the sediment at the bottom of a glass of wine. He says, I, you know, he's, he spent about 10 chapters explaining how they brought this on themselves. But he says, I, I had this cup of my wrath, of my anger, and you have drank it all the way down to the sediment. Verse 18, there is none to guide her among all the sons that she has born, nor is there one to take her by the hand among all the sons she has reared. So there's nobody to show them the way. There's nobody to proclaim the truth, right? There are no prophets to guide the people. And so the picture there is that Jerusalem is, is, is drunk and there's no one to guide her in her drunken state. You know, so that he's talking about a period of time when they'll be under an influence with no prophets to guide them. Verse 19, these two things have befallen you. Who will mourn for you? The devastation and destruction, famine and sword. How shall I comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie helpless at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. That's a weird image, uh, full of the wrath of the Lord, uh, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, please hear this, you afflicted, who are drunk but not with wine. Thus says the Lord, uh, thus says your Lord, the Lord, even your God, who contends for his people. Behold, I have taken out of your hand the cup of reeling, the chalice of my anger. And then if you're a note taker, you might underline this. He says, you will never drink it again. I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, lie down that we may walk over you. You have even made your back like the ground and like the street for those who walk over it. So he says, you're getting walked all over by your tormentors, by your enemies. So yeah, this could refer to when, uh, when the people are, are in captivity in Babylon, right? He says, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, you're gonna, serve your sentence, so to speak, and then when we're done, I'm going to move that cup of wrath and anger over to, to Babylon, and Babylon uh, does get judged. Um, but I don't think that's really what the, the point is here, or at least not the main point, because we've got some dual fulfillment stuff going on. Because that, that line, when he says, you will never drink it again, well, they, of course, did bring God's anger and wrath upon themselves again after they were out of Babylon. So when is the time when he will finally no longer ever be angry with them again? During the Great Tribulation, uh, we've spent some time talking about this and we will some more later in the book, but uh, there's a period when uh, the Antichrist makes... Um, 
a treaty with the Jews and uh, then turns on them and tries to destroy them. They flee into the wilderness and and just before they're wiped out, when the armies of the world have gathered around Jerusalem, ready to destroy it, Jesus returns. We're going to chapter 52 here. Isaiah 52, verse 1. It says, Awake, awake, clothe yourselves in your strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself in your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. Shake yourself from the dust. Rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the chains around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, You were sold for nothing, and you will be redeemed without money. He says, Look, you sold yourselves into this bondage. In the New Testament, we were asked, question, you know, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? We see it in movies, right? People make a deal with the devil to get famous or rich or whatever. But most people trade their soul for nothing. And he says, you, redeemed ones, have been bought with a price. And the price is the blood of the Lamb. Right? I, I paid for you with my own blood on the cross. Verse 4, he says, For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at the first into Egypt to reside there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now, therefore, what do I have here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people have been taken away without cause? Again, the Lord declares, those who rule over them howl, and my name is continually blasphemed all day long. Right? This is Jesus, he's, he's coming back, right? And he says, look around. My name is blasphemed all day long. My people are mistreated. Verse 6, therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day... I am the one who is speaking. Here I am. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Paul quotes this in Romans, right? He says, how, how lovely are the feet of those who bring the gospel. Right? We, uh, it doesn't mean they actually have pretty toes and feet. Uh, but, you know, you, you, you're glad to see them coming. And he says, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Right? The people are going to look and see the feet of this one who brings that message, and it's going to be the most beautiful thing they've ever seen. In Zechariah, we get this uh, little picture. Zechariah 14, verse 3, he says, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations, those, peop those armies that are surrounding Jerusalem, as when he fights on a day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. That's where Jesus, we believe, is going to set foot on earth. The nations of the world are attacking Jerusalem and the 
the remnant are going to be convinced that they're just moments away from being destroyed, being wiped out. And Jesus shows up and says, the almighty one. Isaiah 52, yeah, Isaiah 52, verse 8. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth, shout joyfully together, your waste places of Jerusalem, or you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. So what do we do in light of all that? Verse 11, he says, depart, depart, go out from there. Touch nothing unclean. Go out from the midst of her, of Babylon. Remember, Babylon is also a picture of the world, right, of, of the, the devil's world system. He says, uh, g- um, go out of the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. Paul quotes this, this same verse in, in 2 Corinthians 6. Uh, 14 verse 12 he says but you will not go out in haste nor will you go as fugitives for the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard he says look I know it's hard to leave Babylon it's hard to to take a step like that but I've got your back it's hard to leave what you've known for your whole life to go towards something better but I've got your back. Now, the chapter should end there. Uh, when you know when the Bible was written, it, they didn't put chapters and verses in there. That was something some well-meaning uh, folks did much later. And the last few verses, I believe, should have been in chapter fifty-three. But we're going to read them since it's part of this chapter. Uh, he says, verse thirteen: "Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted." Uh, up and greatly exalted just as many were astonished at you my people so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men in other words he was remember we last week we saw all the stuff that they how they tortured him his his appearance was so marred it was more than any other person I wonder sometimes if that's why after his resurrection, you know, people didn't recognize him right away because he was so beaten. Because we know he keeps those scars, right? That's how Thomas identifies him. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And when they had not heard, they will understand. In Revelation 5, John describes the moment he sees Jesus standing before him. He says, a lamb standing as if slain. In other words, like a butchered lamb, but somehow standing. Butchered, but alive. I don't, I'm not saying that Jesus is going to look like that forever, but apparently at some point, uh, uh, 
he reveals himself that way. Like we see his scars. We see just how badly he was beaten and wounded. As a matter of fact, Israel is going to see that too. Zechariah 12, verse 10, we'll stop with this. He says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. You know, we all have scars in our life. Things that are affecting how we treat people, how we live our lives. Jesus says, someday, I'm going to wipe all of that clean for you. And the only scars that will be in heaven will be mine. And then we'll sigh. So look up, look around, uh, keep that in perspective, and uh, we'll get into the good stuff next week. But uh, for now, let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you this evening for allowing us to go through uh, tricky portions of Scripture. and We know we don't always get it all right. Uh, anything that we've interpreted incorrectly, we pray you wipe that from our minds and give us a hunger and a zeal to find uh, the truth. But what we've gotten correct, Lord, we pray that... Uh, you would use that to, to change us, to transform us, uh, get us a little bit closer to the, who we could be uh, in you. And Lord, we pray that, uh, that we would be more and more aware of the sacrifice you made on our behalf for us, that we would come out of Babylon and know that you've got our back. Lord, we pray for your blessing on your people and pray this in Jesus' name that they would come and come quickly. And everybody said, Amen. All right, ready?